if I can marry the idea of fiber farming and biodegradable fabrics and secondhand fashion, it would just literally complete the circle of like the slow fashion circle. Good morning, everyone. I'm your host, Harley, and this is the Ranch Collective podcast, where we talk with Western industry professionals to share, educate, and give a platform to those inside the industry and to give those who are outside of it a look at the day-to-day by having real conversations with guests. You are new here. Welcome. And if, if you've been on this journey with me for a while, welcome back. This morning, I am back chatting with Kaylee from the Buzzard Farm, a farber farm a fiber farm in Appalachian, Pennsylvania. We are talking about all things fiber farming, so the processing the animals and the products that Kaylee herself produces. So excited for you to join us. Hey, you guys, it's Harley. I'm just popping in before we start the episode to tell you about my other business, Pullage Company, and our retainer package. So Josiah and I co-own a photography business where we partner with other small businesses, advocates, and influencers to create social media content. Recently, we decided to develop retainer packages for our small business customers who need photo content on a regular basis but don't have an in-house photographer. As you all know, social media is a huge part of growing your business and increasing your brand awareness, so fresh content is important. We are currently offering one, three, and six session packages with different time choices. You'll get high-quality, professionally edited photos in unlimited locations and a phone or Zoom planning session so that we can make the most of our time together. For more information and pricing, please head over to our social media at Polich Company, that's P-O-L-I-C-H Company, or click the link in today's episode notes. So I know we talked about you work with the fiber shed was one of the things you wanted to talk about. So let's um, start there with like how, what, I know you, we talked a little bit earlier about like what practices you're using that are like regenerative, like having your um, alpaca kind of graze graze the land and your sheep graze the land and mm-hmm. um rather than using machinery to do it or whatever but what other you know practices um do you participate in? so alpaca themselves are a regenerative animal um unlike other fibro animals um they don't rip up the roots when they graze They don't uproot, so it allows for immediate regenerative growth of the the plants. Um, They also don't have hooves, so when they walk through the pasture, they don't damage the soil. Their feet are called pads, so the pasture is in all the root systems remain undamaged. So the whole thing with Virginia farming is about keeping your soil as healthy as possible. Another thing that we do is we spread the alpaca manure in the fields um, to fertilize, to help with regrowth. And after we spread the manure, we rotate the alpaca out of that pasture and into another pasture to let that pasture regrow before putting them back in to you know, mow it down. Those are all practices that I've definitely heard mentioned with other um, regenerative farms as well. And like with other um, forms of livestock, particularly like, you know, rotational grazing and stuff like that. Um, But I know, oh my God, I am just struggling to get my train. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was something that I thought was really interesting the first time when we talked is you talking about like the pads on um, the alpaca's feet and how they're different from like other animals. So are deer, well, deer technically have hooves, but are deer similar mm-hmm. to that? Um, no, um, I think the closest, the closest animals that um, are related to the alpaca are the llama and the guanaco. Um, they are native to uh, South America. What's a guanaco? Um, it's it's like a Peruvian deer. <laughs> like I, that's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> they live All that in the mountains. My head was well. It's kind of like an alpaca, but different. <laughs> yeah. It, if you were to blend an alpaca and a deer, that's what the kind of what they look like. But they have the finest fiber of like any animal, I believe they're illegal to import, but I do follow a farm on Instagram that has some, and um, I've been so curious on how she got them because their fiber is worth like actual money, which most fiber is not worth actual money. That's like a 
facade. I think people think it alpaca and they're like, this is like fiber gold. And it's not, it's not worth really anything, but the get rich quick scheme. Yeah. Yeah. They, but, well, because, you know, there's organizations that really push that, you know, your, your lower micron count is worth so much, but it's not worth anything unless you have good marketing and that you have a customer base. Isn't that, you know what? I feel like that's the core of everything. It, it, nothing is worth anything if you don't have good marketing and a core customer base. Exactly. Like, you know, no one's going to buy it. If, and then no one, they, and they outsource everything too. And, they, and a lot of these farms really push for outsourcing their products. So a lot of alpaca farms actually buy their products from Peru instead of using the alpaca fiber that is from their farms. So what happens to the fiber from their farms? It gets thrown away. Is there, so that we're going to, we're going to come back to that because that's going to take us into talking about fast fashion. But like, um, I know obviously the fleece is biodegradable, but mm -hmm. does it serve another purpose? So like manure, right? Obviously biodegradable serves mm -hmm. a purpose. Does fleece have like the same or similar like nutrients in it where you could like do something like that with it? Or is it just kind of like chill until it? does whatever it does to be honest with you i don't know the 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 answer to that question i know that people use it to kill weeds in their garden um and they also okay. use it to their plants um i know I, i've had lots of people buy it from me for those uses like the stuff that i throw away because i do process all of mine all all the stuff i like but there's like bits and little pieces that is like throwaway fiber um that i will i have given for those purposes. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know what's in the fiber. I'm assuming there is because every part of a living being gives back to the soil. I, that's interesting. I would have not thought of using it in my garden. I actually posted on Facebook today asking if anyone had chickens or ducks, if I could come and steal some of their dirty straw because my garden would like it. My garden that I had when we had ducks thrived because when I would clean out the duck thing I would put it in a big bin like a big plastic bin and I would pour water on it and then like let it sit for two days and then I would use that to water my garden and it was fantastic that's awesome well so if you need another use for your manure that's a great <laughs> well we use the alpaca poop the alpaca poop actually kills grass and it kills weeds oh and, you know, you don't have to let it sit like you do chicken poop or like duck poop. Um, I do have ducks too, but um, it's, it's, there's no, there's not as much risk as disease. So you can actually put it directly on your garden. You don't have to like compost it first. Oh. Um, and they actually, like a lot of farms will sell it dehydrated on Etsy for people which is hysterical. I think when people will use it as for like fertilizer for their houseplants, they'll like, I, I want to know what they use to crush it up because I, I've never done that because I used to use it for my own personal garden, but they will dehydrate the poop and they will disintegrate, like grind it up and sell it in like shaker containers. Well, I mean, surely if, they make grinders for like weed you can get a, a probably a similar grinder honestly but uh what I thought of is like when horse poop dries up it's like you can like pick it up and it just like crumbles so maybe it's mm -hmm. not like that no it's actually like deer poop it's like little they're like a little yeah. round it's actually really hard maybe they just like <laughs> this is disgusting <laughs> maybe they just like roll it into like a big old ball and then like let it dry out and then they just like ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's a dirty business I don't want anything to do with it it's kind of <laughs> how I feel about it I I'm not going to be selling um dehydrated alpaca poop anytime soon good for you <laughs> um okay so Let's talk a little bit about when, so fiber, most fiber farms, you said they don't use their fiber, it's discarded. And mm -hmm. then what the things that could be made with this fiber are not, you know, being made. So let's talk a little bit about fast fashion because 
I, when we talked about this before, I got on my soapbox about fake leather. I'm ready to talk about fake, fake leather again today. <laughs> this discarded fiber could be used to make more sustainable clothing items for people. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yeah. So, um, most of what I do is actually education-based in that regards, you know, slow fashion is, is exactly that. It is really slow and it has to be regional. So, and you know, it's really cool because with the internet regional is basically just the United States. <laughs> and I've said this, I was, I was interviewed before and I've said this before, you know, I really do feel like local is national now because that's kind of what the internet has, has done for us, especially it's really great for farmers. Like it's incredible for farmers and small farmers in particular, because, you know, it, you know, farm stands going to get you 10 customers a day, you know, and sometimes you, you can't get those repeat customers, especially in a small, poor rural area, like, you know, in Appalachia. So, you know, now you can reach, you know, hundreds, if not millions of people, you know, with these online platforms. But, you know, that doesn't really matter if you can't produce, you know, a whole lot. And you can't produce a lot without mills. And, and fiber mills cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. They are extremely expensive. They're expensive to run. They're expensive to employ. They're expensive to operate. So doing these things on a small scale and having everything handcrafted, I can only produce maybe about 50 items a year. So that is my very small gift, but showing that process, showing how it's done and trying to show people to have more of an appreciation of where your clothes come from is really why I'm doing what I'm doing because there are people in factories across the world who are paid five cents an hour to produce the clothing that we wear that is made out of plastic. I have this pair of boots that I got when I was in college. Got them 2013 probably. So I've had them for 10 years. They are the very first pair of real leather boots I ever got. Paid like $230 for them. That was a lot of money when you were a broke college student. That was a lot of money for me. But my but my friend worked in the ladies' shoe section of Dillard's and he got paid commission on what he sold. So I was a good friend and bought myself a Christmas gift from him. So I I still have them. They still look almost brand new because they're real leather. And they've yeah. been taken very good care of. I've noticed that a few other things, like I've got um, a jacket that is like a, it's, it's a leather jacket, but it's like a super, super soft. Um, it's almost got like, it's more of like a hide. So, um, and that's, I got that like at a thrift store in 2016 and it was like already old then and mm -hmm. it's like in incredible shape still yeah. so these pieces and like I know that like what I mentioned is obviously like this it's the skin of an animal it's hide but those are also you know while we have this massive uh, in particular beef because we've talked about beef a whole lot well <laughs> that's another piece of that animal that can be purposed for us to benefit from in a way that's not just food. Um, and those are pieces of those animals that like then are put to really, really good use when they're taken care of really well. Yeah. I have a, um, I have a locally tanned um, deer skin purse. It is, um, uh, yeah, it is the neatest thing. I found this company and they, you know, they, they hunt their deer and they can the, they make leather out of them. And it is, I have, I'm so fascinated by doing that because I love this idea of, because I mean, there's nothing more organic than that. Yeah. We've got, um, rattlesnake hides sitting waiting to be tanned so that we can have like we're gonna do um hat bands the cowboy hat bands oh, that's neat yeah so and it was like a rattlesnake they kept like 
screwing stuff up on the ranch where Josiah's dad used to live. So we removed the problem from <laughs> from occurring. It was going after some chicken eggs. Oh. Um, those are those are the pet chickens. We can't have that. Um so but there's like all of these ways that uh, a lot of people who don't maybe don't have their hands directly in the pot don't think about or see. Oh, absolutely. Um, And, you know, there's all these like small businesses and, and or small to medium large businesses or they all mean well, but they they and I, you know, I might shoot myself in the foot by saying this, but outsourcing your t-shirts and supporting all of these like big companies that import like from China, it's just, it's just hurting. It's hurting the industry and it's hurting small farms, especially fiber farms. Yeah. Um, is there, do you is there like a a company that you can think of maybe off the top of your head or maybe by the time that this episode airs I could include um or tag in something that would like they do they do t-shirts so they would have like the ability to handle um the production of like some t-shirts for like another business or something like that I I do have that information I don't know the name on top of my head because I'm terrible with names but I can get it to you okay perfect because that is I would love to include that um information and because I feel like um that's an area where I think it's really difficult because if you have if you're a business that has like a decent demand you said maybe you can make 50 pieces of um I think you said clothing 50 items a year right yeah so if I have a business and I need 50 items this month Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't be compatible for that right so if you're and I think that that's where it gets difficult if you do have a bigger. But, you know, think about all these like big company events and that give away all these free T-shirts. You know, those free T-shirts are never worn again. You know, right. it's just so wasteful. And I guess a lot of that's what I'm talking about, like the logo T-shirts. Like it's so wasteful. So much of that is just either never worn or discarded. And they're they're not typically good quality I feel like a good solution would be to hire um local screen press artists you know there's lots of local screen press artists and you know you can even source your t-shirts secondhand. you go into a goodwill you find so many t-shirts just plain t-shirts and you don't like you don't and that supports a local economy and supporting your local economy just gives back to everyone Yeah, I feel like one of the really, really wonderful things, and I don't know, I don't know what's changed because I don't think it's just the conversations about like fast and slow fashion. I think there's been like a bit of a cultural shift, but all of a sudden, like thrift shopping is really cool. Everyone wants to do that. Everyone's buying stuff secondhand. And I mean, yes, people are also definitely still participating in buying stuff firsthand. Like I'll be the first to admit I buy stuff new also all the time. Um, for like a specific event, I'll be the first to be like, I need a new dress for this or whatever. Um, but there's also been like this huge shift in like, okay, well let's just go on over to the thrift store. Yeah. Oh, my, um, I, I am a huge secondhand fashion advocate. Um, I typically source my clothing from small secondhand woman-owned businesses i love resellers i love them i love what they do um i think that they are the actual future i really hope that these like big businesses such as like Shein, can just disappear they are just destroying everything and not just like my business because honestly my business is so slow and so small most of what i do is education and advocacy Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm really, I'm really cheerleading these, these resellers and what they do. I really want to put more of what they do into my farm because I think if I can if marry, I can marry the, idea the idea of fiber, of fiber farming, farming and, and biodegradable fabrics, fabrics and second hand fashion, fashion, it would just it would literally, literally circle, circle of, of like the slow like fashion, the slow fashion, fashion circle. Circle. It's like recycling. It's- yeah. 
can you not can you it would be cool to find a way to like like you said utilize that like i don't know compost isn't the right word that's the vibe i'm thinking of (laughs) um compost uh fiber yes yeah, I mean, everything I produce, you can compost because I also use um, natural dyes. Where do you even find those? I have so many questions <laughs> that we're not going to them. You what? I grow them. Like, like berries and stuff? That's not the right words. But like, it, tell me more. Okay. I'm excited to see. You're walking through your house. Ooh, yeah. Your house looks really cool, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, no, I'm, I'm, you're going to be shocked. But so I grow um, Japanese indigo, something called, um, oh, I have it written down on this paper right here. I'm turning my grow lights on. Something called, oh, I have it right here. Yeah, I had to walk through my fat to give you this. Something called woad. Um, And woad produces a blue dye. And the marigolds, they have like a yellow and an orange. I also forage for um, dandelions, which can have a bright yellow or a green. I do um, goldenrod, um, many, many plants, Um, many plants I can forage for, then many plants um, I grow myself. (laughs) These are, this is my natural dye garden. So okay. I had to take it through my house because I had to show you because it makes a lot more sense when you see it. So we have a greenhouse and I cover them and I have them through the year. So Okay. So um okay. Yeah, so Japanese indigo, um, it's a tropical plant. So that, like I started in January in my house and I started ridiculous amount of it. And then I have to powder it. That's really cool. I, I just I just got off because so I was like, wait. You grow that. That is so cool. I just, I was like, I don't know how else to do it other than to show you because, like, it is really intense. And this is the first year I've really stepped it up. Last year, um, I did more foraging for things. So I found cookberries, and um, I just did it seasonally. I got this book that um, that I will send you to send you the book after this. And it talks about how, what you can forage for every season to dye and you can dye your clothing. So if you have like a cotton t-shirt, you can forage for these things and follow these processes and, you know, dye your clothing. So there's like a stain on your shirt and you want to rewear it. You can, you know, dye your shirt to, and these natural I have this white shirt that Okay, this is probably TMI, but I'm going to say it anyways. I'm a sweaty person. Like, I sweat constantly. If I get just, like, a little bit warm, my armpits are sweating. It Like, it does not matter. It can be, like, 30 degrees out, my armpits are sweating. So, I have this white shirt that, like, has pit stains on it. It's a really nice white shirt. And I've been, like, meaning to dye it. I want to dye it maroon because that's my favorite color. Um, I'm just going to actually do it. And I've been scared to dye. I'm terrified to dye my own clothes because I am a baby. So... <laughs> I started out with like an acid dye and acid dyes are pretty like they're pretty reliable um okay but like if if you don't do a natural dye correctly it it will eventually wear out and also um they can fade in the sun so there are trade-offs with it. Um, but what I love about it is that I can be like, you know, my 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 product is 100% biodegradable and it is a completely earth-friendly. Um, there's literally nothing in it that is harmful to you. Unlike, you know, so much of the plastics that, you know, our clothing are made out of. I would love to know who decided we should have plastic in our clothes because like obviously for a long time we didn't Mm -hmm. and was it just because it's easier to mass produce clothing items if you mix plastic in with the fiber because the other fibers because then you can make 
you know, what normally would have taken up a whole shirt, you can make that go a whole lot farther. Is it uh, the same thing as like the leather, fake leather agenda? I decided I'm not going to get on the soapbox. Anyone who's listening, if you want to know my soapbox about leather, you can DM me. My DMs are open. Um, But like, I would love to know where that came from. I don't expect you to have that answer, but it's an interesting conversation to have. Absolutely. And I mean, like there, there really aren't even any natural fibers in most of our clothing. I mean, I have this sweatshirt on right now. And I mean, I, I know by feeling in it that it's just polyester and probably some, some other form of plastic that, you know, cause it's stretchy and it's comfortable. And so they like engineered this fabric because that, you know, it is comfortable. Polyester is extremely comfortable and and like wools are really tough and they're really rigid and you really have to like wear them in, especially like um, non um, fine wools. You know what I mean? Um, like mm-hmm. alpaca is not like that. And alpaca is also hypoallergenic. So I, I feel like alpaca is like the, the best of both worlds, I think, but the the wool industry has really dominated the natural fiber when people think you know a wool sweater they typically think oh it's going to be itchy it's going to make me break out Mm -hmm. um and I think that like having like a plastic fiber really solves some of those problems for people so I think it became more appealing because it wasn't itchy it didn't make people break out you know what I mean because some people genuinely are allergic to wool. Yeah. A lot of people are. Um, but there's lots of other natural fibers out there that, you know, you likely won't be allergic to. Like there's flax uh, linen. Mm-hmm. Which is, oh, I love the feel of it. Oh, it's wonderful. And it's so breathable. Um, I love, like, I have a couple items that are like, uh, almost like only cotton and I'm like oh this is lovely this feels good on the skin oh yeah cotton's wonderful and you know but cotton's also really stiff like you always know when you have 100% cotton because it is so stiff like natural fibers they are I was like this shirt the shirt that I'm wearing um obviously except for the screen printing on it is not cotton it is um and it's uh 24 years old almost as old as me I was like six or seven maybe eight when my dad got this shirt from when he was coaching that football team um I've only got holes in the very bottom where it's worn out but it was it was really stiff for a long time but it like 25 years of wear I'll make it nice and soft yeah absolutely absolutely I bet but there's nothing like like 100% cotton also silk silk is a natural fiber I can't wear silk. Does it make you break out? No, I just sweat through it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stuff that's like, that's, oh, it's like stuff that's like sticks to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not for me. Like I can do, I'll wear like spandex shorts, but obviously that's not a natural fiber. That's got a lot of plastic in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If it like sticks to you, I'm probably not wearing it unless it's cold. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, cotton and linen are fantastic options because, like, linen is just so breathable. I have a couple of tops that are just, like, beautiful linen tops. I'm like, "Mm, I would. And I live in the South now. I live in Texas, so it's hot a lot of the year. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of, like I mentioned earlier, the jacket that I have that's, um, like, a thicker, like, hide, and it's, like, fur-lined. Um, and I've got a couple of like heavier jackets. I've got a beautiful like wool sweatshirt that came back from Ireland with my in-laws when they were visiting. They brought it back. They gave it to me after it sat in their closet for a number of years, unworn because I'm a sweater girl. But now I live in Texas and I don't get to wear sweaters a lot. <laughs> I have an entire closet devoted to my sweaters and jackets that I don't get to wear anymore but I bought because I needed well needed then when I live somewhere where it's cold they got snow yesterday still getting snow 
Wow. Um, so a good chunk of the year, I, I'm wearing sweaters and sweatshirts and stuff there. Um, I did not get rid of them when I moved. I kept, well, I kept about half of all of my jackets and stuff, and I don't get to wear them as much now, so I'm very sad about it. Well, the hope for moving back to the mountains. <sighs> That's right. Well, I was talking the other, a couple of years ago, we had a really bad, um, so here, ice storm, and my Josiah's parents live, um, like down on the Mexico border, like 30 miles from the border, they got like three inches of snow and they both are from Montana. So they pulled out all of their like cold weather stuff, their car hearts, and they had all of it still. And they're like, oh yes, for the first time in 15 years. That's hilarious. And I'm like, well, I bet you're glad you kept it now. <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that would, that would suck to not have it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like they're, they don't they're fantastic about no you're fine um they're fantastic about like getting rid of stuff that they don't keep they just have held on to like a handful of like their nicer items like um like like carhartts for example like those Mm -hmm. they are very well made for what they are Um, oh absolutely i think josiah's dad has had his for like 30 years wow yeah they last forever so it's, and the way they fade, I don't know if you, if you have a Carhartt jacket, but the way they like fade out is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I have, I have, uh, my overalls are Carhartt and I have vests and, um, I get really hot really easily. I I'm like a winter person. I really mm-hmm. don't like the heat at all. I'm very sensitive to it. I just thrive in the winter. I'm outside all the time. Like right now is like my perfect temperature. I don't like the cold rain, but I love it when it's like sunny and like 40 degrees. That is like my weather. That is my least favorite weather. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, there is something so harsh about like the winter sun in particular. Like I think of being, if it being like January or February and like, 45 50 60 degrees but when it's been three degrees for like three months and all of a sudden it's like 50 degrees you're like oh this is shorts weather and then you go out and then there's a breeze and you're like oh this is long pants weather <laughs> I mean like that's kind of that's kind of how it is here though because I mean we don't we have a really really mild weather like we have our we only have like one week of like maybe we'll have one night of a negative degree and it's only like if two so it's really not like it's not mountain weather not in the slightest we don't have those crazy wind chills we had one and it was like the first time in 30 years that we had a negative 15 wind chill and we had it for two days like our lows are typically in the 20s in january and then they go back up to the 30s april so that's um a lot of the time actually where i grew up it was like that but i was telling somebody this the other day because they'd never been camping outside of texas and like i love i love to camp i love to be out in nature like the further away from other people the better for me um which is another reason why i should not be lost in appalachia cryptic tiktok because i like to be outside in the mountains away from people i don't i don't want the crypt to think about the cryptids that live there i really don't um <laughs> but <laughs> um so i was like explaining i was like yeah and like during the day we'll hit like 95 100 105 degrees up I was like at the lake probably not getting into the triple digits I was like but then at night I was like as soon as the sun goes down I was like you were layering up and they're like how close again I was like close to freezing they're like in July I was like yes yeah in the top of the mountains in July you're getting under under like 45 degrees and they're like what they're like you sleep outside in that and I'm like in a tent in a sleeping bag yes yeah, we don't have those those swings like it is here, like it is over there. Like, I mean, at night in the summer, it is like a nice 70 degrees, 80 degree high. Like, we only have that uh, 10 degree swing. We have that a lot more here where I live now in Texas, actually. This, um, it's been like unseasonably cool this spring. It's been a very cool spring, but um, we don't get a lot of swing like unless um when a storm comes in but that's abnormal weather behavior 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you mentioned a whole bunch of times in the time I've been talking, these products that you have. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Tell me what you make. So right now, um, I've been making um, hats. That That's basically, that was like my first clothing product line that I started. Um, and it, it, they seem really simple because they are really simple. But when you break it down, I am cleaning, processing, carding, which is like brushing, combing, organizing the, the fibers, um, and then hand spinning every single fiber for these hats and then assembling them. Um, I probably made 45 hats in five months from start to finish from my animals. It was intense. That is so many. Also, they're like the cutest hats. And then you made like, you made like little hat Christmas ornaments. Yeah, I have the hat Christmas ornaments. I make scrunchies. The scrunchies are my favorite thing that I make. I think they are so cute. And I don't sell very many of them. And I'm like so shocked because I think they're the cutest things in the whole world. Um, I wear them like every, well, when I used to wear them, when I had hair, I cut my hair. So <laughs> I don't wear them as often anymore. But um, I was actually really sad when I cut my hair off because I realized after I did it, oh no, I can't use my scrunchie. Um, because I have. When did you cut it? What? When did you cut it? Maybe a month ago. Okay, so it was after we talked last time. Yeah, yeah, it was after. Okay. So yeah, I, I yeah I got rid of all my hair. Um, it just it was too much maintenance. I needed I needed to cut something because I got these lambs. So, <laughs> so the, the hair is what made the cut. Um, I couldn't... Your haircut is really, really cute. I've been thinking that this whole time. I'm like, that is such a cute, cute little haircut. Oh, thank you. I, I actually did it myself. Shut up. It looks so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it myself on a whim. Um, I, I just said I had enough of it. I had enough. And I, I watched a YouTube tutorial, which I don't probably recommend to anybody because I, it was a big risk. I was very nervous. And my daughter came in while I was doing it. And she's like, Mom, you shouldn't do that. Stop it. You're going to look ridiculous. Um, I cut my own hair up until like a year and a half ago since I became an adult. Because I like, quite frankly, I have no self-control. I'd be like, I want to dye my hair blue today. And then I would go buy blue dye. And then I would cut it and dye it. Um, and then... Two weeks before the first time I went to ACL, I decided to bleach my hair at home. Um, it did not, it didn't go bad. I didn't lose a lot of my, I mean, some of my hair fell out because it was damaged, but um, I'm going to actually, for the people at home, they can't tell. Okay. So do you see all this hair that I have? Mm -hmm. That's about a third of mm -hmm. my normal volume of hair. I just went and got it done and I had her thin it out because it's getting hot here. Um, so I, I did lose a bit of it, but like, I have so much hair that like, it didn't matter. You couldn't tell that I lost any of it. And then I like took like a week to like sit in that. I was like, this fucking looks like shit. I was like, this looks so bad. So I reached out to a friend of mine who'd like just moved here and was establishing her hair business. And she does, um, blonde color corrections. And I was like, please fix it. <laughs> I was like, please fix it. So she did. And I actually got it done um, last Tuesday. And she did, I mean, she always does a beautiful, beautiful job on it. But she didn't have to cut any of the length off. I was able to keep all of that. And the color looks, it doesn't look great right now because it's a greasy mess. Um, but she did a beautiful, beautiful job on it. So pretty color. Thank you. That's about um, my hair when I cut it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I saw you before. No, yeah. Like, it was, like, the hair. But I, I bleach my hair at home, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have a stylist that I love, by the way. Like, I love her. Like, I uh -huh. have a friend. I do love my stylist. It's just that it's been so inconvenient to find a time. And I would, I, and it takes, like, seven hours to, to do your hair, like, long. Yeah. Uh, 
when she did the color correction, I was there for literally eight hours. We yeah. thought it was going to take three and a half, and I was there for eight hours. This last time when I went and got it done with an assistant, it still took her over three hours. I was there from, what does that look silly? Um, two o'clock to almost six. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not surprised at all. Oh. That, that's what it was. And I just, I'm like, I just can't justify an entire day for my hair. So if I do it at home, I can do other things while I do it. But anyways, <laughs> um, my, yeah, my natural color is almost black and I've had it red before that. So like bleaching it at home was just not it. It wasn't. Yeah, I'll just try it. it. Yeah. So, okay. So you make these hats, you make cute Christmas ornaments, you make scrunchies that I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go buy one because I want one real bad and I want coffee. So. So you do scrunchies, you do coffee. Yeah, yeah, we do. We roast our own green coffee. Um, it's kind of like, it's something we do really casually. Um, we've been doing it for like four years, maybe five years. We started doing it at home because we are incredibly picky about coffee. We are certified coffee snobs and none of the coffee roasters or coffee like small coffee shops near us had coffee that we approved of I am not a Starbucks lover I don't like my coffee burnt like I all their coffee tastes burnt to yeah. me it is not good coffee I know that's like an unpopular opinion but it, I want my coffee to be like smooth and theirs is the opposite of smooth I have a theory that that is why people love their um, like flavored drinks so much is because their regular coffee tastes like shit. And it does. And I say this as someone who like not frequent Starbucks because if I'm going to frequent any coffee shop, it's going to be a local coffee shop. But like I have people buy Starbucks for me on a semi-regular basis. Like if they're at Starbucks, they're like, you want anything? I'm never going to turn down a free Starbucks. I'm not going to. Um but their regular coffee tastes like shit. Mm -hmm. It is not good. Um, I worked for a coffee roaster in the Dallas area. And I learned so much about coffee. I learned so much about my taste in coffee. And they turned they turned me into a real coffee snob. Because I'll like go in somewhere and I'm like, this tastes like piss water. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's it, <laughs> it ruins you. It ruins you. And the thing is, is like, I would drink Starbucks over no coffee because, you know, any coffee is better than no coffee. I would drink a K-cup before no coffee, which I also don't like K-cups. I, I do a pour over or a French press every morning. I don't own a coffee maker. I don't believe in coffee makers. Um, so I really, um, and that's, and that's also more of like an environmental thing. I'm a huge environmentalist. So I, I try to be as like less wasteful as possible. I think K-cups are so wasteful. We have, I agree. We have a Keurig, but we have the reusable K-cups. And Josiah's mom got those for us. Cause I surprised Josiah wanted a Keurig. We were like 21. I had like a hundred dollars and that's all he wanted. For it, it was like for his birthday for Christmas or something like that. It was a Keurig. So I found one that matched our kitchen. And his mom's gift was the reusable K-Cups. We still have them. We've had that. We were 21, 22 when we bought that. Google turned 30 this year. We've had it for eight fucking years. But I do. I have. We have a French press. We also have um, a pour-over. My preferred way is a pour-over. Josiah likes the K-Cups. He's like, the pour-overs taste watery. I was like, you're making them wrong. Yeah, you're right. Like, it doesn't taste watery when I make it. He goes, well, I don't like them. I was like, okay, well, have a K-cup. <laughs> you can have your, like, you can have your curry and I will have my cup. You're welcome to your wrong opinion. We, I do the French press every morning and I, I have like a, I have a little kettle that we use and I do out of ease um, because I have zero patience for pour over. My husband prefers to pour over and I have no patience in the morning my coffee I am like look just dump the water on the beans just give me the beans whole I don't care at this point I need to wake up so I I end up like and it's so funny because our we have this like really nice kettle um and but the problem is the way that the coffee kettles are if you the, the, the you know how the spout is like shaped they yes. if you pour them and you tilt it too much 
the hot water will act out the top. Yeah. And I'm so impatient that I like all but dump it. So I'm actually like scalding myself as I pour this water because it's like it won't come out fast enough. I have no patience in the morning. And I'm like, I hate this. Like, I want to go back to my stovetop kettle because where I, I worked it out where I've got a system with my pour over because I am also very impatient. I have no, you can tell I keep accidentally interrupting you. I have no patience. Um, <laughs> and so when I get up the way, I'm like, okay, so boil kettle, obviously that comes first, no matter what, uh, boil kettle, let dogs out, uh, by the time they're ready to come back in, the kettle's ready to go. And I've got my cot, my pour over set up. And then I start the pour over. Like I like get the beans wet, the, get the beans wet. And then I feed dogs. And then I resume pour over duties. And then it doesn't take so long. Cause I do the first half of the pour over straight into my cup. The mm -hmm. second half goes to my, um, the uh, pot that came with my pour over set. Um, and then when I'm ready for my second cup, it's already there. That's I could do if I have one, but um, I always, I don't know why, but I always forget about the French press when I make it. Mm. And then I will forget to clean it out. Mm. and then the next time I want to use it it's disgusting yeah we use it so frequently that it's like always it's just always ready um pour is the one that I always neglect that's the opposite well my pour over thing it's like it's sitting out into the open so my beans actually get to dry out so I can use it mm. in my garden it's also nice right. um yeah so um okay so did I tell, do we cover all the things that you make? I Yeah. Um, I also do some wholesale. I, I actually sell uh, soy wax candles, which I know that like soy wax is sort of questionable for a lot of people. Um, but um, I just, I, I'm just like a maker of things. I'm a busybody. I started, um, I, I make soap. I've, I've always made cold pasta soap for my family. And so um, the, I started making candles because it's very similar to making soap. And I was trying to think of something that was easy to make that wasn't as complicated as fiber to supplement what I was doing that was much faster. Now, I do think that the things I make, you know, have value and, um, you know, like they definitely take a lot of time, but just the amount of time that fiber processing takes, um, I needed something that could supplement that didn't take you know 12 15 hours of my of my day for one thing you know what I mean so um I started making those and then I sometimes supplement with the soap I'll have that um but this year I'm getting into a lot of really fun things I'm doing fingerless gloves I'm really hoping to have socks um I I believe so much in secondhand fashion that I really just want to produce the things that you can't or most people are uncomfortable sourcing secondhand, like hats, um, socks, gloves, you know, the things that like most people don't donate their gloves because they lose one before they donate them. So sourcing gloves secondhand is like really isn't feasible. Um, I don't buy secondhand hats because I just think yeah. it's a sanitary thing. Same thing with socks. Um, so those are the things I'm really trying to focus on. I'm trying to really push the rest. Like, like I said, with the advocacy work for shopping secondhand. Um, but then I'm hoping to do a little bit of housewares. Like, um, I want to make rugs this year. I very much want to make rugs. I am like, like poke rugs out of my alpaca, like bath mats and welcome mats and things like that. You, it'd be cool to do pot holders. Yeah, yeah, that that would be really neat too. I love a unique potholder. I actually have my very actually my favorite washcloth that I have was a crocheted washcloth that because I had a set of two. I only have one now. Um, a crocheted washcloth that my godmother made me like when I moved out of my mom's house. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like, this is my favorite washcloth. It still is. I still use it all the time. Um, but another thought. He didn't come to me for business ideas though. So. <laughs> do I want to do washcloths but I want to do them made out of hemp um 
in Pennsylvania, you can't grow hemp. Um, you need a license. I do not have a license to grow hemp. So I have to source my hemp from someone who is allowed to grow hemp. Um, so I might buy it from another farm and spin it and then do it that way. Because at a certain point, you're just going to have to accept that you just really can't do it all. I have, I was telling my boss today, her and I were talking about um, specifically custom artwork. And I was like, I have, I was like, my most toxic trait is that I'm, cre like, I'm creative. I was like, um, and my most toxic trait is that I think I can just create everything myself. And so I've got like my foot in a million rooms, my hand in a million cookie jars. And here's the thing. Nothing is getting fully completed. It's just not. This podcast is probably the most fully complete thing that I do. Um, and that's because I have people who are kind enough to let me speak with them. And then if I feel like I don't want to do it anymore, I'm like, well, I've already recorded the episode. I was like, that's rude to just not release it. So. <laughs> yeah. Total sense. I mean, I, I know I do, I do similar things. Um, but you know, one of the things I really started to focus on is pleading things and really setting priorities. Um, and like just maintaining my goals. Like every time I try to steer off, like, for example, I have a farmhand that comes, she's my only employee. And, um, she was here yesterday and I told her tomorrow we are going to make rug yarn, which mm -hmm. Really, we don't need to make rug yarn right now. We are not there yet. Like, I am not at the point where I should be making any rug yarn. But I'm like, we're going to make rug yarn. We really should be finishing off because I make wool dryer balls. So that's another thing I make. I make wool dryer balls and I sell them wholesale. And I'm like, but we only have, we sold out of all of our fiber from last year, all but like three bags. We need to process this stuff into stuff before shearing time. It really needs to happen. And I'm like, we have three bags left. I was like, let's make this rug yarn. We don't know how to do it yet because we've never made it, but we're going to do it out of these last three bags. And we shouldn't. We should just process them and get it out of the way and prepare for shearing because shearing is going to be like in a week. And and so she comes today and I'm like, we're not making rug yarn. I don't know what I was thinking. We really... <laughs> Like, I really, like, the, why is that my priority? I don't know why that was my priority yesterday. I just get so excited. And I'm on to the next thing before I finish the ones right in front of me. Uh, the most fun thing about this podcast is seeing those pieces of myself, like, in other people. I'm like, I oh, guess it's not just me. <laughs> no, it's a thousand things. I mean, like... I started, I wanted to do plants. Like I really wanted to do, I had this idea where I was going to do a plant CSA. I wanted to sell local plants so bad. I really want a local presence of some sort. I don't really have one right now. Um, but I wanted to sell like plant starter six packs. Um, like someone will hear this and it'll be their good idea. So like, you know, two tomatoes, two broccoli or eight packs. Mm -hmm. Right. And I started doing them and I had like 10 customers. It went fine. But then I had like 700 plants in my basement plus the plants I was growing for me. So it was an additional like 500 plants and they were just plants everywhere. And mm -hmm. I, wow, like this isn't sustainable. So I was like, we need to buy a greenhouse. Well, a greenhouse is a lot harder to build than what I thought yeah. it would be apparently sure yeah it's it's almost built now it's been a whole year I'm excited to see it I want to see pictures when you send me pictures send me pictures of your greenhouse yeah I will totally send pictures this is almost up I'm actually actually not going to put the plastic on because it's so late in the year until probably September because if I put the plastic on now it's going to be 120 degrees in the greenhouse in a month and I'm like, I'm not growing anything in there when it's 120 degrees. I really did it to extend my season. So, and I don't want to risk the plastic getting damaged when I'm not in using it. Yeah. Um, for sure. I want a greenhouse so bad. Maybe, maybe we'll build one. Maybe we'll build a mini greenhouse. Like a green cabinet, perhaps. No, they have those little ones and they work really well, especially when you double them. Like put one inside of one. Hmm. 
I'll have to show you when we are done with this, I'll show you my cute little garden because it is adorable and it's on wheels. So if um, someone were to come to you and said, hey, I really love what you're doing. I would love to learn more about fiber farming. Where can I start? What would you tell them? Um, I would tell them to decide whether they wanted to breed or whether they wanted to produce fiber and um, what is their favorite um, type of like clothing if they did want to do the fiber um, the fiber route um, because you see like I do have sheep now I did say I wasn't going to do sheep I do have alpaca now um, but like if you like linen you're not going to want to do fiber animals um, and just focus on that particular avenue like don't stray don't try to take on the entire farm like don't get a cow and a donkey and fiber and then you know because you want to just focus on your one avenue um I had I I know so many especially farmers that try to do way too much and they get overwhelmed and it makes them like literally implode not that I don't do this I have done this I am literally speaking from experience I have done this I've had to recenter myself a million times but finding that and you typically won't find it at first you know you typically, sometimes you won't find it so you have experience and once you find that just focus on that as much as possible I, I think that's the most important part is keeping yourself centered on your overall goal. Yeah. And I think um, to add on that, I think it's also important to remember that these animals are living animals. And like, if you're coming in from someone who doesn't have um, an ag background and you've only had like maybe cats or dogs, it, you have to remember that like, this isn't like a tomato plant. This is a living, breathing animal who requires more than just water and food they require it's more than just that yeah but you know I will say that fiber animals are like the easiest livestock you can get okay I and I'm not I'm not encouraging but I'm saying they really are like I, they, my alpaca are so easy now my sheep are not easy my sheep are very high maintenance like you have to be so careful about when they eat and when they don't eat but the alpaca are you know, you give them hay, you give them food, they get water, and they're like big giant cats. They have the personality of a cat. They just want you to leave them alone. They don't really want you to hang out with them. They don't really want attention. They don't want you to walk you. A dog is way harder than an alpaca. Are chickens harder than alpacas? They're probably, honestly, they're kind of the same. I mean, they're like, they're like, they're like one step harder than a chicken, I would say, just because of the hay. Like, the, the one thing you have to bring them hay. Okay. And that's a big deal. Okay. But you have to do toenails and you have to do monthly shots. But some people do those kinds of things with their chickens too. Yeah, we don't. I don't either. Our, our chickens just get like our table scraps and they just run around like little raptors everywhere. Um, not at our house in the city, in the suburbs, uh, at my in-laws. Okay. They have like some chickens that, that are running around on the ranch. Not in my, not in my brand new house in an HOA that doesn't allow chickens. It's rude of them. Um, yeah. We look, we tried, we tried chickens. We tried ducks. I don't think they say anything about ostriches, but I feel like that'd be frowned upon. I would love an ostrich. Um, an emu. They're beautiful. They are. Um, they'll kill your dogs. Ostriches probably would too. So maybe I, maybe I don't actually want one in suburbia where all my neighbors have dogs. Um, okay. Uh, everything you've done in your whole life, what are you the most proud of? Oh, honestly. So when I got the alpaca, I never thought that I would actually learn how to process the fiber. I never thought I would learn how. And I think a lot of fiber farmers feel the way I felt when I brought them in. It felt like an impossible task. I self-taught myself start to finish how to process it. I stopped, taught myself how to spin. And I remember the first time I finished my first piece, I was so proud. Like, And it's so hard because when I finish a piece, I don't want to get rid of it. I don't want to sell it every single time. I'm like, okay, this is mine forever, right? 
Like I'm so attached to everything I do because the time investment and I'm so proud of myself for following through on that because I mean, not only was it a huge investment, I, I spent more on the fiber processing equipment than I did on the animals. Um, but just holding myself accountable and actually learning how to produce clothing and learning the ins and outs of this is definitely more than anything. Oh, that, and probably my kids, obviously. Like, but <laughs> I forgot. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.